0: Sometimes old-fashioned is good. Sometimes old-fashioned is bad. But you guys, have to take a look at this paintbrush with me. All right, we have here a paintbrush. Paintbrushes are incredibly old-fashioned. They have been very similar to this since their design and invention, whenever that technically was, and they've looked very similar to this for over 500 years. All right, I mean, general idea: you get a handle, you get some bristles. Sure, there's some variation, but it's a paintbrush. They haven't changed. Do you know why? Because there's not been a need to change it. Now you guys can take a look at this. All right, sorry, not officially sponsored. Um, You guys are looking at what you think is a five gallon bucket. What you don't know is you're also looking at some old fashioned plumbing. Oh, sometimes old fashioned is bad. Got it. How do you decide If something is good old-fashioned or bad old-fashioned. Now, I just want to be clear. I'm not talking about nostalgia or how something makes us feel, right? Or our preferences. But if the design of something in an old-fashioned way is good or bad. Well, you look at the P. Uh, Sorry, P's. Three P's. Um, First one is purpose. Why it exists. Practice what is done. And then preference, which is our feelings about what is done. So actually, we're going to throw those up here. We're going to get these in our minds together. We're going to talk about purpose, practice, and preference. So purpose is why something exists. All right. For example, the purpose of this paintbrush is to paint. All right. That's why it exists. Second is practice, what is done. So in the case of a paintbrush, you take paint, put it on the bristles, and then make brushstrokes. That's what is done. And then preferences are how we feel or feelings about what is done. So when I make a masterpiece, and y'all don't like it because you have bad taste, that is your preference on the practice of what was done, and the purpose was to create a painting. Purpose is why it exists, practice what is done, preference is feelings about what is done. So how do we decide if this is a good or bad kind of old-fashioned? It's by asking this question, does the practice fulfill the purpose? Because... The practice of dipping in paint and then making brush strokes fulfills the purpose of painting. A paintbrush is a good kind of old-fashioned. We're talking about some old-fashioned plumbing. One of the purposes is sanitation. Um, you guys can use your imaginations if you want. I'm not going to ruin your Sunday lunch for you. But this is bad, okay? The number of conversations I've had this morning about this, by the way, has been frightening. Please. I know y'all can't, but Still. This is a bad kind of old-fashioned. Now, we're not here to talk about paintbrushes and poop buckets. There's a greater point than that. So, where are we going? We're talking about doubt and questions that make us question our faith, right? We've been talking about beyond a shadow of a doubt. We've been talking about maybe different views or questions people have, and here's one. Today, in the postmodern society in the United States of America, the church is seen as old fashioned. And to be clear, it is. The church is old fashioned. It's straight up ancient. It's been around for thousands of years. But that's actually a reason some people question its usefulness or whether or not it's relevant. So we need to address this question Is the church old fashioned and irrelevant? Like, it's definitely old, so we can call it old fashioned. But is it like a good way, like a paintbrush, or a bad way? like old-fashioned plumbing? Well, let's rephrase the question slightly, maybe in a way someone would say it. We live in a really complicated and confusing world, right? There's threats of nuclear war and rumors of World War III and opioid addictions, and there's co-parenting struggles, and there's stock markets that fluctuate. Like, like our world today, 2024, is messy and nuanced, and I don't want to brag, but we've got some pretty cutting-edge problems. So... Are there answers that are going to be accurately and helpfully found inside buildings and groups of people that focus on someone who lived 2,000 years ago and the teachings of a book that was written in ancient Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic? And people People don't even say the word Aramaic, you know, most years. And is that where we're going to find answers to complex, nuanced, modern problems? Well, we talked about whether or not the paintbrushes are good old-fashioned or bad old-fashioned and we did that with plumbing so let's do that with the church why would someone go to church in the first place i mean not just this church but like any church because people go to church for a lot of different reasons for some people like it's part of their midwestern heritage they drive in the snow to church and then they drive to grandma's house for pot roast and biscuits and gravy afterwards right it's a pretty midwestern sentence. I'm really proud of myself. I'm blending in. They'll never know. I'm not from here. But for some people, it's not a tradition thing, right? For some people, it's actually just a shot in the dark at hope. Like We've got people, and I get to talk with people all the time, who are saying, well, I don't know if I believe what you believe, but I know I need help, and I figured maybe I'll start here. And it's people who are looking for hope and the expectation for a better future. Sometimes people are here because a friend invited you and said, hey, come to church with me and then we'll go eat afterwards. I'm thrilled you're here and get that lunch. Make it a good one. Get an appetizer. But uh, we have different reasons to come to church. Let me share mine. I know I already made some poop jokes, but I'm going to make another one. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, he who smelt it, dealt it? It sticks with you because it rhymes. I'm going to give you another one. He who creates, regulates. All right? He who creates, regulates. And so the reason I go to church is because I believe that there is a creator, a holy and perfect God, who actually created the world, created me, created you, and wait for it, loves us. Like, in the middle of our mess and whatever messed up life we've got, in the middle of our success and whatever we think is good, there's a God who created the world who loves you and me. And he sees that we're actually separated from him on our own by something called sin. So there's a God who created, and then there's us, creation, separated by sin, which is anything that falls short of a perfect God's perfect standard. And knowing that we couldn't get to him, we couldn't be good enough, he actually came down. And so Jesus Christ, who was fully God, who lived as fully man, came and lived a perfect life without any sin. He died on the cross, innocent. But our sin, the debt we owed God based on our sin, was actually placed on Jesus. He died for our sin was buried, rose from the grave three days later in a show of victory over sin and death, and it actually makes it possible for us to be made right with God. And the reason he gets to say this is how it works is because he who creates regulates. And all of the Christian faith is actually centered on Jesus Christ. So we're going to be talking about the church and relevance, and I get it, and that's the question we often ask. But logically, the first question to answer is, is Jesus God? Because if he is, he who creates regulates. And if Jesus is God, then what he says goes. And if Jesus is God, then what he says is relevant. So that's not the conversation we're having today, but if you have questions or doubts or you want to debate or process, like some friends and I will be down front, we would love to talk with you. I would say the most important question you can answer is whether or not Jesus is God. Because if it is, if he is, then the church is relevant because he who creates regulates. And we'll talk about that, actually, how the church was even created and where that comes from and how it's so closely tied to Jesus. See, shortly before um, he died on the cross, he would meet with his followers, and he taught them for about three years. And then he died and was crucified, buried, rose from the grave. And then before he went back to heaven, he talked to his followers a little bit more. And it's in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, we see some last instructions. Jesus came and told his disciples... I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we see these instructions from Jesus, and he's telling them to go and make disciples, to teach people who Jesus is, and then to follow him. And then to baptize them. Mm -hmm. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision. It's where somebody's submerged in water and then brought back up, which is outwardly showing their inward allegiance to Jesus and their need for him and then declaring it and then telling others, hey, Jesus is Lord, I'll follow him. The church is told to teach others to obey what Jesus taught. That's part of the church's purpose, just from the beginning. But then we get more of the purpose when we see what the church does. See, this continues, and some time passes, and the followers of Jesus are doing these things. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we get this picture. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's what's happening in the early church. Sometimes when we say church, and when we think of the church, we actually think of a building, like the building we happen to be in. But the church is not just a building, it's actually a group of people. From the very beginning, the church was a people of teaching and growth, of community and connection. It's a place where the Lord's Supper was observed and celebrated. We'll talk about that one later. Uh, It's a place where people prayed together and were generous and worshipped. A place where the gospel was shared and people came to faith in Jesus. All of that all of the church, all of the people, and what they did was centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Right? It's all centered on him. And the belief that Jesus is God, that he is who he claimed to be, that he's fully God, who lived as fully man, living a perfect life without any sin, who died on a cross as payment for our sins, was buried, who rose from the grave, and show a victory over death, and that anyone who would put their trust in him could be saved. It's all centered on Jesus Christ. That's what the center of the Christian faith is, and it's what the center of the Christian church is. It's a person, it's Jesus. Remember, he who creates regulates. And so Jesus, who created the church, was created by him and for him, gets to decide its purpose. Sometimes when we think about the purpose of our church, sometimes we think about it in forms of tradition or how it makes us feel, but he who creates regulates. Jesus created the church. And so we see that the purpose of the church is this. Here's the purpose of the church was created to be a people devoted to Jesus Christ, a people of growth, community, prayer, generosity, worship, and evangelism. That's the purpose. The purpose of the paintbrush is to paint. The purpose of the church is to this, is to be a people devoted to Jesus Christ, and then to live that out. Remember, with paintbrushes, we decided if they were a good kind of old-fashioned or a bad kind of old-fashioned based on whether or not the practice fulfilled the purpose we're going to do the same thing with the church. Does the practice of the church fulfill the purpose of the church? What does the church do? All right? Just overall, what does the church do? What's the practice? Well, it grows towards Jesus, builds community, it prays, it is generous, worships God, shares the gospel. That's the practice of the church. But I want to be clear I'm not talking about. Our church, not the Ridge or Community Church of Columbus or First Baptist Wichita Falls. I mean the church. So when I say the church, we're talking about something called the global church, sometimes called the invisible church. What it means is the people devoted to Jesus Christ all around the world gathered in different local churches, whether that's house churches and tribal villages and old fashioned buildings and ones like this. The church around the world does these things. People are taught the Bible helping them to grow towards Jesus, to grow towards God, knowing who he is and what he said. Right? Community is built when people connect not just to God, but also to each other. And church prays. But sometimes that's individually, sometimes that's a couple people together, sometimes that's lots of people together. Sometimes it's short, sometimes it's long, but it's prayer together. And the church is generous. Generous as far as giving to the church, but also through the church towards communities, towards churches around the world that need help, but even secular and humanitarian causes generously given to in the name of Jesus And God is worshipped through song and action and service and the gospel is shared and people are told not just that there's a God that created them not just that they need to be saved but that the God who created them loved them enough to die for them overall the church does these things something is a good kind of old fashioned if the practice fulfills its purpose alright Now, this is going to shock you guys, but the church does not do all of these things perfectly all the time. (gasps) I know, I'm shocked too, and I wrote it. Uh, Hey, guys, if the church is a people devoted to Jesus Christ, and the people in the church are broken and messed up, and we are, then we will do these things in a broken and messed up fashion. Our inability to do these things perfectly does not prevent it from fulfilling its purpose, which is to be a people devoted to Jesus Christ and then to live that out. All right. Now, we don't do it perfectly. We know that. And there's church hurt, and there's pain, there's confusion, there's a lot of stuff. But that doesn't prevent the practice from fulfilling the purpose, just like an imperfect painting doesn't negate the purpose of painting. All right. Does the practice fulfill its purpose? And if so, then it's relevant. And he who creates, regulates. And Jesus created the church. He said what it's supposed to be. And so he's actually the judge where if the church does this, then it is relevant because it fulfills its purpose. Now, so far, I've really intentionally been broad and vague. And I've talked about the church, not just our church, but the church. And I've not talked about how all of these things are done, just that they're done. And there's a reason for it. Um, Something I'm told frequently in meetings is, specific is terrific. And the reason I'm told specific is terrific is because I am not specific enough to start with. So I get a little bit of gentle correction and then be more specific. We haven't been specific because we wanted to stay with what the purpose is and then what the practice is. So before we get specific, we're going to get hungry, all right? I want everybody to close their eyes, do it. My eyes are closed, so I just hope yours are. Close your eyes. I want you to picture a cheeseburger, all right? Picture a cheeseburger, one that will fulfill your hunger. Got it? All right, you can open your eyes. That was weird. All right, you can open your eyes. Uh, What kind of cheeseburger did you guys picture? Because I told you to picture a cheeseburger and one that would satisfy or fulfill your hunger. And yet, I'm willing to bet, across this room, we pictured a couple of different cheeseburgers. All right? I mean, did you guys have American cheese or Pepper Jack? Anyone bougie and going with, like, smoked Gouda? All right? Uh, you know, was it thin, like smash patties? Were they thick patties? Bacon, no bacon, lettuce, tomatoes, onions. Where's my mustard people? Come on, loud and proud. Where's my mustard people? All right. Where's my ketchup only people? We'll pray for you. <laughs> I, there's a reason that we're doing this, right? And it's not just to be hungry, although my stomach just rumbled and that was a mistake. Uh, the reason we're doing this is using, I gave everyone the same criteria to picture a cheeseburger that could satisfy your hunger. And whether you are vegan or vegetarian or carnivore, uh, if we are hungry enough, any of the pictured cheeseburgers could satisfy your hunger, right? That was the purpose. And yet, we all have many different preferences, okay? And it's not wrong to have preferences, but sometimes we really focus on preferences. And when we just created those cheeseburgers, we added in a lot of preferences. And sometimes we confuse preferences with the purpose or the practice. Let's make this about the church, all right? Sometimes we take how the church does something specifically and our preferences, how we feel about it, and then that is what is ultimate in our minds. So let's talk about practice and purpose, all right? Sorry, purpose is to be a people devoted to Jesus Christ and to live it out. And the practices we were given for the church from Jesus was to grow towards Jesus, to build community, to pray, to be generous, to worship God, and to share the gospel. And yet there are a lot of how... We do these things that we're not specified. So let's talk about some preferences. Our preferences are often about how these are done. Let's talk about speaking and preaching and teaching. We have preferences on communication style and length. All right? There are people out there that are not just better communicators than I am, but that you like more, and that's okay. Like That is a preference. There are people out there that speak longer or less, But did you know that the Bible's actually not specific about that? We're told to grow towards Jesus and to help people do that, but there's some flexibility on how. Like, we've got friends in churches in Ghana and Nigeria, and if you went there, you'd be shocked at how long a church service is. And it's not right or wrong. It's a preference. And sometimes we have strategic preferences. Like, we do things a certain way on purpose because we think it's best, but not because we think it's the only way to do it, all right? What about how long we speak? Adam and I typically speak for about 28 minutes. That's a strategic preference. We think it's what is most helpful. We could be wrong, but that's our best shot. And yet in the Bible, we see a story where the Apostle Paul preaches, and he talks so long that somebody actually falls asleep while he's preaching. We see it when you do that, by the way. We love you, and we're glad you're here. But someone falls asleep, here's the the fun part, and then falls out a window and dies. I want you guys to look back there. You'll notice there are no windows. You're welcome. And yet... If we spoke longer or shorter, that's a preference. That's maybe a strategic preference, but a preference. The practice that's commanded is that we would grow towards Jesus and that we would build community. Here we often do that through groups. People serve on teams together, people are part of small groups or large groups, and that's not the only way to do this. It's the way we've chosen, we've got reasons for it, but it's not the only way. What's important is that we would build community. I grew up in a church that did that through Sunday school. That's not right, that's not wrong, that was their strategic preference, Great. What Jesus said to do was this. How we do it? Preference. Tracking with me? We're told to pray. Man, but we have preferences and even options on how. Who prays? How long? Is it everyone at the same time out loud? Everyone at the same time quietly? Groups of people? Right? That's not specified, but we're told to pray. And we're told to be generous. And it's also not specified exactly how that money should be distributed. Whenever we never want to be abusive, we want to be transparent and honest and helpful. But There are some strategic preferences on what money is sent where and why or how. But what's clear is that we're supposed to be people of generosity as we are devoted to Jesus Christ. We're told to worship God. That doesn't always even mean music. It can, but it's also in our thoughts and our actions and how we serve and a lot of other things. Yet we have preferences about style of music. We're told to share the gospel. There's a lot of flexibility on how. Yet yeah, we have preferences. I've got some friends that will go door to door and talk to people about Jesus. And is that weird and uncomfortable? Sure. And yet, have they seen people genuinely follow Jesus because of it? Yeah. So that's awesome. I've seen people preach on street corners, and they've done it in a way that honored Jesus, and people actually followed Jesus. And that's awesome. And sometimes we do that by creating an event saying, hey, come check this out. And sometimes we do it by saying, hey, come to church and let's go eat afterwards. Or it's, hey, meet me, let's grab coffee. And it's sharing the gospel over individual conversations. And there's a lot of different ways on how, but what's important is not how it is done, but that it is done, that we would share the gospel. Let's zoom in on one. Let's zoom in on worshiping God. Now, again, worship does not always mean singing or music, but that's what we often think of. There's a really clear command given to the church in Ephesians 5:18 through 20. So let's zoom in on that one. Ephesians 5:18 through 20. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a practice that is given to us of singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Worship songs about God and to God. We're supposed to do it with other people. But it didn't specify a lot of the how or what style of music. It just says, to do it not how sometimes we get really strong preferences about the how for a long time uh, I really disliked church choirs um, I think disliked is probably a little mild I think I could say I hated church choirs I didn't want to be on staff at a church that had a choir because I thought they were old fashioned and they reminded me of a bunch of old people like 40 and up and <laughs> <laughs> some of y'all don't like me uh And and I thought about choirs, and that made me think of people that are old, and it didn't seem relevant or cool, and I didn't like that, and so I didn't want to have anything to do with a church choir. Is there anything wrong with a choir? No. Man, a worship choir that talks about Jesus, there's actually a ton of things right with it, and that's good. I mean, it was my preference to not do that, right? Here's the thing. It's not even wrong to have a preference to like or not like something, but it is wrong to take our preference and then accidentally make it ultimate. And I let my preference about how we would worship Jesus become far more important over whether or not Jesus was worshipped. All right, So the practice is to worship Jesus as God. The preference is do we do that with a church choir or a rock band or a cappella singing or a metal mosh pit or Christian rap. And all of those things can honor Jesus and be incredible. And yet we often have such strong preferences, not about whether or not we sing, but how we sing. By the way, if you're starting to feel like, ooh, um, hey, it's not wrong to have preferences. We all have them. But what we do with them, that can be right or wrong. Here's my hope for us. When we think about the church, we think about its purpose, to be a people devoted to Jesus Christ. and we think about its practice, what we're supposed to do, instead of getting caught up on our preferences, like we often do, here's my hope that we would submit our preferences to God's purpose. We would submit our preferences to God's purpose. Not just today, and not just when we think about church, but actually with every area of our life, that we would say, God, we believe that you are ultimate, and that our preferences are not. And so instead of being most concerned with, if we like how we do something a certain way, that we'd be most concerned with you, and what you said to do, and that our preferences would be submitted to that. And God's purpose for the church was that we would be a people devoted to Jesus Christ. A people of growth, community, prayer, generosity, worship, and evangelism. And instead of arguing exactly about how we do these things, we would just know what's most important is that we do these things. Because our preferences, even if we have them, are not ultimate. But Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ, who created the church, who the church was created for, who was and is fully God, who lived as fully man, who died on the cross is payment for our sins, who was raised to life in a show of power over sin and death, who made it possible for us to be made right with God. Jesus is ultimate, not our preferences. Jesus is king, not our preferences. Jesus is Lord. One of the ways that we worship Jesus as Lord is by observing the Lord's Supper. This is something that's been around for a really long time. Actually, when you look at the ancient church, it was typically the culmination of their worship service. It was the big thing, that they would take the Lord's Supper together. And so it's old-fashioned and ancient. But what we're doing is actually united with the church around the world. People who have already done it today, people who will do it later, but also the church across time. As it has existed, and then if it continues to exist in the future, the church overall, the big church, takes the Lord's Supper When we observe the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is we're proclaiming and we're celebrating that Jesus is God, that He is who He said He is, and that His victory on the cross makes us right with Him. Not our works, not our efforts, but who Jesus is is enough. So go ahead, and if you haven't already, take your communion cup. We've got these. And if you see these things, these aren't exactly ancient. Um, How we observe the Lord's Supper, even if it's a strategic preference, is something that can and will change. Over the last few years, I mean, we used to pass something around, and you would take them, and then COVID hit, and we started to put them individually at every seat, and then today you picked them up when you walked in. We might change it again, right? We might change how we do it, but we won't change that we do it. Now, the Lord's Supper originated with Jesus, and he would often eat meals with his disciples and teach and pray and. And with the Lord's Supper, the first time we have it recorded as that was shortly before Jesus' crucifixion. He was with his disciples in an upper room, and they were sharing a meal together, and Jesus took the bread, and he thanked God for it, and he broke it into pieces, and then he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So how we're going to do it today, if you haven't already, go ahead and then take it out. And if you haven't taken it, go ahead and then i would ask you to do something kind of specific. Would you break it? And when you break it, I want you to think about it. Jesus' body was broken for us on the cross, even beyond recognition of what it looked like. And So I'm going to pray for us, and then if you haven't already, we'll eat the cracker. God, thank you. Um, We don't even have the right words to say to describe who you are, and you are holy and bigger than us and stronger than us. And God, maybe just making it way too short, you are God and we aren't. You are ultimate and we aren't. You are ultimate and our preferences aren't. And you died for all of the times that our preferences have led us to sin, that in our thoughts and actions, we would disobey your perfect standard. And we can't keep your perfect standard. And you knew it, and you came, and you let your body be broken on a cross so we could be made right with you based on your efforts and not ours. And so we say thank you. Amen. Go ahead, take the cracker. As they continued, after supper, Jesus took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And so we're going to pray together, and then we're going to drink the juice. King Jesus, you bled on a cross for us, not because you looked at us and just thought we were perfect and amazing, because you looked at us with love and compassion, and you knew that we needed you. And we can't get to you on our own despite our best efforts no matter if we've been raised in church and taught who you are our entire life or if we're hearing your name for the very first time today we cannot meet your perfect standard so thank you for having compassion on us thank you for dying for us while we were in the middle of our sin and thank you for saying that there's no condemnation for us if we're found in you we cannot earn that but man we are grateful Thank you for bleeding on a cross to cover our sins. Amen. Go ahead, take the juice. And again, when we take the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is we're saying that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. But what he did was enough, and that we're responding to him with worship and adoration and gratitude. So what we're about to do now is a continuation of that. We're going to sing together. And our thought is that when we sing, when we take communion, when we serve, when we give, when we grow, when we live as the church, we're not focused on our preferences, but we're focused on the one who is ultimate, Jesus Christ, that we would respond to him, even now with song, with gratitude.